Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. Welcome to A Martyr and a Monk. That's Victoria. And that's Christina. Uh, Before we get going on the normal stuff today, we have a couple of random little things. Uh, The first is that we just want to quickly point out that it's been about a year since we started doing this podcast. It's very exciting. We've had a very boring year of uh, COVID quarantine staying at home. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It definitely does not feel like it's been a year yet. Nope. Um, But It's still weird to me that it's 2022 and we're like three months in. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's 2021. <laughs> nope. I still kind of feel like it's 2020. So yes. Yep. Uh, but yep. yeah. So everyone, uh, thank you for listening. And to the people out there who have been listening, I hope you enjoyed it. We enjoy it. So we're just going to keep doing it. Because uh, there's about 10,000 million more things left to do. Yep. Yep. For sure. <laughs> and blessed if we're including those two now. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yep. So. On a slightly less fun note, um, in light of recent events, Victoria and I wanted to take a moment to recognize and pray for the people in the Ukraine. So for those who don't know or for those who are listening in the future, the Ukraine was invaded by Russia a few weeks ago. Um, And as descendants of Poles displaced by World War II and people who have lost many ancestors to wars in Eastern Europe, we wanted to extend our heartfelt solitude with the people of the Ukraine. And we wanted to take a moment to say a short prayer for those people. Um, So I selected this prayer. Um, It is the English translation of a prayer that Pope Francis delivered on one of his daily addresses on March 16th of this year, 2022. Um, And it was written for the Pope by Archbishop Domenico Battaglia of Naples. Forgive us for the war, Lord. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Lord Jesus, born under the bombs of Kiev, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, dead in the arms of a mother in Kharkiv, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, in the 20-year-old sent to the front line, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, who continues to see hands armed with weapons under the shadow of the cross, forgive us, Lord. Forgive, Forgive us if not content with the nails which we pierced your hand, we continue to drink from the blood of the dead torn apart by weapons. Forgive us if these hands that you had created to protect have been turned into instruments of death. Forgive us, Lord, if we continue to kill our brother. Forgive us, Lord, if we continue to kill our brother. If we continue, like Cain, to take the stones from our field to kill Abel. 
Forgive us if we go out of our way to justify cruelty, if in our pain we legitimize the cruelty of our actions. Forgive us the war, Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we implore you to stop the hand of Cain, enlighten our conscience, let not our will be done, do not abandon us to our own doing. Stop us, Lord, stop us. And when you have stopped the hand of Cain, take care of him also, he is our brother. O Lord, stop the violence. Stop us, Lord. Amen. Wow, that was really good. Pope Francis is not messing around. I know. I found I was looking for some prayers that I could pull from since I am not confident enough to say my own prayer. And uh, a lot of them I was like, these are kind of lame. And I was like, what did the Pope say? And I was like, oh, <laughs> not messing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really good prayer. So this week, uh, to keep our thoughts on the Ukraine, I decided to cover a saint um, from the Ukraine, which seems to make sense. Um, this saint is sometimes referred to as the protector of Ukraine or Ukraine's patron saint of defiance and vengeance. That sounds exciting. Yes. Um, she, yes, she, she is known as St. Olga of Kiev. Um, but before I go on, I do want to acknowledge that while I chose a saint from a long time ago, she was out and about in the 900s, the late 900s. Oof. Yep. Uh, I want to recognize all of the saints and the blesseds that were born or martyred in the Ukraine during World War One and World War Two, and the communist oppression of the Ukraine. As you can imagine, there's quite a few of these holy people from World War One and World War Two. Um that were killed, displaced, displaced and killed, killed because of their religion, etc. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's there's a there's quite a number of them, but I couldn't find enough information on any of them to actually use them in an episode. Um, so they basically have like really short stories, like, "Hey, this guy was a priest. He was displaced and then killed in a camp." Yeah, the martyr ones, because those are yeah. basically martyrs with more steps. And there's never any info about martyrs. Yeah, there are actually a couple, um, like, nuns who aren't martyrs who were displaced and ended up starting congregations, but their congregations aren't big enough to, like, have a whole lot of information about them or really anything. Um, So I went a little bit older because there's a lot more information about uh, some of the older saints. Yeah, maybe maybe one day we should do something about the the congregations and the holy people and things of like displaced people yeah yeah because like i know in central asia they'll have like like there's a huge beautiful catholic cathedral in like samarkand and it's like why is this here it's from eastern europeans displaced during world war ii who then were like well (laughs) yeah one of the uh one of the priests who's a i can't remember if he's a blessed or a saint i think he's a saint now um that i considered doing was was Ukrainian, born in the Ukraine, was working in the Ukraine, and then was displaced, I think, during the communist regime. Mm-hmm. And then, but he was in Kazakhstan. Yeah. And then he was like, he was in a camp in Kazakhstan, and then he was released and started working again, and then he was captured again and then killed. Yeah. Um, They're interesting stories. Yeah. Because they make these weird little, like, pocket communities of people right. who are like, yeah don't belong with the rest of the people in the area right but then they end up doing a bunch of work there and it's yeah it's it's interesting interesting. yeah Yeah, so i just wanted to make mention of all those people that they are also very important for the ukraine ukrainians and catholic history in europe 
Um, so maybe yeah, we'll do a we'll do a big uh, another episode that's kind of a, a conglomerate of a lot of these people who don't have a whole lot of information, but mm-hmm. are obviously really important for more recent history in Europe, especially yeah. Eastern Europe. Okay. So now Olga. on to Olga. Yes, Olga. So Olga was born sometime between 1890 and 1925. Sorry. Sorry. Not 890. 890 and 925. My brain was like, must be a 10. No. 890, 925. Yeah. Okay. Big range there, which changes a lot. Like, depending on when you think she was born, it changes dramatically, like, how old she was when she died. Yeah. So it's a span of 35 years. 890. That means she would have been right around the same time as Cyril and Methodius, who were also in that kind of Eastern Europe area, like yes. just after them. Yes, which kind of makes sense when we get to it later. I didn't do a whole lot of digging on the history of like the Christianity in the area, but that makes sense. Yeah, because I think Cyril later. and Methodius died in like the 890s, maybe. So yeah. So she'd have been like just after them. Right. Yeah. So she was born sometime in that vicinity. Okay. Um, she may have been of Viking descent, which uh, they call a lot Varngarian. Um, okay. So if you hear me say Varngarian, it's it's Viking. Um, and she was born in Pleskov, which today is a city in northwestern Russia. Also, pronunciations. I'm going to try my best. Um, like, we obviously do have a history of being, like, of knowing how Polish is spoken, but that's not necessarily the same as other old Slavic languages, which a lot of this was old Slavic. I think I mentioned that later. (laughs) (laughs) So I tried. I'm sorry if it's wrong. Um, (laughs) So Pleskov today is a city in northwestern Russia. It's one of the oldest cities. Unfortunately, because it's the 900s, we don't know much about her childhood. (laughs) Other than she is probably some sort of noble or royal descent. Because when she's 15, she is married to Prince Igor I of Kiev. Uh, Igor was the son and heir of Rurik of Ladoga, uh, the founder of the Rurik dynasty. Okay. First, to pause, we're going to go into a lot of that stuff. Um, <laughs> I do want to mention that all of these facts, quote unquote facts, are based entirely on the Primary Chronicle, also known as the Rus Primary Chronicle or the Russian Primary Chronicle or the Tale of Bygone Years. Um, good names. Yes, it is in written in Old East Slavic. Um, the document basically chronicles the Kievan Rus from about 850 to 1110. I was like, how do I want to say this number? <laughs> 1110, 1110. So from 850 to 1110, this writing kind of chronicles the history and what is going on with the Kievan Rus. Mm-hmm. Um, it is thought to have been compiled in Kiev in about 1113 uh, by one named Nestor. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, name. Nestor, for writing all this stuff down. <laughs> so obviously, um, yeah, we'll get to it. But basically, the work begins, like one of the names being uh, Tales of Bygone Years, uh, is from basically the first sentence of this document, which okay. says, quote, these are the narratives of bygone years regarding the origin of the land of Rus, the first princes of Kiev, and from what source the land of Rus had its beginning. Okay. Which is nice. Yes. Uh, so today it's considered a fundamental source for like the historical interpretation of the, of the history of the East Slavs, mm-hmm. uh, and in general is our main historical source for what the hell is going on okay. in this area at this time. <laughs> um, so basically everything we know about the Kievan Rus 
is from this document because the Kievan Rus basically exist from the mid 1800s, 1850 to 1110, which is exactly when this document is. You said 18 um, again. 850. Sorry. 850 <laughs> to 1110. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, main historical source. Obviously, it's a writing. Uh, so it could be dramatized. It could be exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Um, so exactly what happened and how true every detail is probably not very reliable but it does help us place some people their names who they were married to right yeah. at the time and place um who their sons were it at least gives us some sort of like family tree you know mm-hmm. family tree records and like kind of what was going on and we know that some of the battles that are described in this document were real so we know like okay who was at this battle like who was where who died that kind mm-hmm. of thing but the veracity of some of the things, some of the really dramatic things that we're going to talk about might be exaggerated, especially since some of the things that happened in the life of Olga are kind of in like the mid to late 900s. And this isn't written until 1113. So right. almost even 100 years, even if even if she lives until like 890 or something like that, or sorry, if, even if she lives until like 990, the yeah, late, late 900s, it's still like 100 to 200 years yeah. after that. So this could be very exaggerated. So we don't actually know some of the details, but at least we have a, a gist, which is kind of fun, especially for somebody from the late 800s. So, okay. <laughs> so for some background information of what is going on at the time of Olga. So Igor's father, who is the guy that Olga will marry, her father is yes. Rurik of Ladoga. He is known as a Vergarian, Varangian, sorry, Varangian chieftain of the Rus'. Who is invited in 862 to reign over what are now known as Ladoga or Novgorod, um, which today are kind of like provinces in mm-hmm. Western Russia along what are now known as the Gulfs of Finland and the Gulf of Riga, which are basically like the little extensions of the Baltic yeah. Sea up in the northern bits yep. of Russia. Um they're, they they extend a bit north and east into modern Russia, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. So we're kind yes. of in that area. Yes, the Baltic states. Yes, which explains why we have uh, Vikings yes. <laughs> also. Well, that's the, the thing, because people, people think that the Vikings are like Scandinavian. Yeah. But they're actually, they're just as Russian as they are Scandinavian. Right. So at this time, it's kind of like... Uh, this is this area apparently was not Viking, and then the Vikings came in and were like, "Hey, this is ours," yeah. and then they kind of were doing that for a while. So, according to the chronicle, um, the Vikings were ruling over the groups in this area. There was an uprising. The native peoples push out the Vikings, and we're like, "No, we're going to rule ourselves." And then a bunch of fighting takes place, and then eventually they invite some Vikings back to help restore. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so that is why Rurik is said to have been invited back. He's invited to rule over these because there's a lot of stuff going on, and everybody's like, this is a mess. Can we have like okay. anybody who's in charge? So they invite him back, and he rules over like this area. Okay, and Rurik is her father-in-law. Yes. Okay. So Rur- Rurik is back, and this is like earlier in the obviously before she's born this is like even before his son is born um er, mid early mid 800s um so rurik is back um he's doing his stuff he's ruling over things uh he remains in power until 879 when he dies um before he dies 
Uh, he names his his heir as Oleg and entrusts his son Igor, who is like a child at the time, to Oleg's hand. Um, Oleg is, is named as like another family member or like part of his kin, but we don't know exactly who he is in relation to Rurik. But okay. basically... Rurik is dying. Igor is his heir, but he's too young. So Oleg, like he names proxy. Oleg. Yes. Yeah. He names Oleg as the regent, basically, yeah. to to act instead of Igor and like guide Igor until Igor is old enough to take over from Oleg. Okay. Classic rulery stuff. Yes. yes. Um, Rurik dies. Okay. Sad. <laughs> as Goodbye, people Rurik. did at the time. <laughs> Rurik dies. Um, Oleg then decides to move their capital city to Kiev. Um, basically about conquering that area, as you do. Mm-hmm. And as such, he founds the state of the Kievan Rus, which was sub- subsequently ru- ruled by Rurik's descendants via Igor and Olga until 1240, when it was demolished by a Mongol invasion. That's pretty good. It's like 300-ish years. Yeah. So about yeah. mid-800s to 1240 is mm-hmm. how long the Kievan Rus are doing their thing. More like 400 years. Yeah, everyone lost yep. to the Mongols, so that's nothing to feel bad about. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, who are the Kievan Rus? Some of you may have heard of them. But basically, they were a loose country. Mm-hmm. Like, they referred to a lot as, like, a loose group of clans. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're like a loose country, I guess you could call it, that controlled Eastern Europe, extending from about where I mentioned earlier, the easternmost edges of the Baltic Sea, all the way north to, like, the Arctic bits, and then all the way south um, to the Black Sea. There Black it is. Sea. All the way south to the Black Sea. So they cover modern, basically, Russia, bits of Finland, bits of all of these. So Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, Belarus, Ukraine, Moldova, Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, Slovakia, etc. Yes. So if you just bit. imagine a blob in that kind of bit of the of Europe from the top bit to the bottom bit, that's pretty much the Kevin Roos. Okay. <laughs> it's obviously not like really established borders because like this is very like chieftain like warlord like a confederacy kind of thing yeah so not really specific borders but kind of that vicinity you know um originally its capital was a novgorod i don't think i'm saying that right from 879 to 882 when rurik first came on the scene but then like i said olga not olga oleg moves it to kiev in 882 two yeah 80 i was like did i say 18 no 882 um and it was the capital is there until the fall in 1240 i think novgorod means new city sounds about right which is ironic yeah well i mean this might have been when it was new i don't know (laughs) it's possible um so languages spoken were most likely old east slavic and also old norse spoken by the viking peeps Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we are. That's what's happening in this area. So we are right at the establishment of the Kievan Rus. Okay. So Olga. Olga is born early, sometime in the late 800s to early 900s, in this area of the Baltic Sea, in the northern bit of the Kievan Rus region. Uh, she's also said to be a Viking descendant. Who knows how true that is? Um, eventually she is betrothed to Igor, uh, who is set to gain control of the Kievan Rus from Oleg, after Oleg mm-hmm. dies. They get married. They have a son named Sviatoslav. There we go. Sviatoslav. <laughs> Took me a minute. Uh, but soon after this, in 945, Igor goes to confront, confront the Drevlians. Uh, the Drevlians, which sounds very fake. It does. Sounds like it a sounds 
Star uh, Trek species or something. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, so the Drevlians are a neighboring tribe to the Kievan Rus, um, who had previously been somewhat allies with them uh, against the Byzantine Empire. Um, they had mm-hmm. paid tributes to Rurik and Oleg before Igor, but then Oleg dies and Igor takes over and the Drevlians don't like Igor, apparently. So they refuse to stay allied to Igor. Okay. Um, uh, Wait, Igor's the son, right? Yeah. It's okay. Oleg. It's, it's uh, Rurik's. Rurik's Rurik son. Rurik yes, son, it's yeah. Olga's husband. He's not yeah. the proxy. He's the actual heir. No, he's the real guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they just don't like him, apparently. So Igor mm-hmm. is like, this is bad. Um, and so he go- takes some armies and forces the Drevlians to pay tribute to him, which they do. But then for some reason, Igor decides that that tribute isn't enough. And he returns to Drevlian territory with a smaller group, maybe seeking more tribute. Nobody's really sure. I'm thinking that maybe this is why they don't like him. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then he is killed on site by Drevlians. Sad. Uh, yes. Okay. So, according to another chronicler from the Byzantine Empire named uh, Leo the Deacon. Oh, that's an excellent name. Yes. Igor's death was tortured um, as he was captured, tied to a tree, and torn in half. Chris. But some historians think that this was dramatized and based on another story. So, that might not be true. Um, so, these okay. are some of the details that we think are probably not true. But he was definitely killed. Igor is definitely dead now. Okay. And he's like a like you know in his forties or something, right? He's like a grown up. Yeah, who knows? We don't know when he was born. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, he was just married to Olga, and they have a a young son. So like, so I, I guess he can't. He's probably not that old then. He's maybe like thirties, you know, yeah. like yeah. late twenties, early thirties kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um. So his wife Olga, like, they think that Olga might have been as young as fifteen when they were married. Yeah, so at this sense. point, she's probably only like eighteen to twenty because their son is about three. Mm-hmm. Um. After so she's in, she's with their son in Kiev, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Igor's death, the Drevlians decide that they want all of the Kievan Rus land. Obviously, yep. they just killed the king, so they're yep. like, "That's what they get to do." Yeah, yep. uh, and they decide that Olga should have to marry Prince Mal, uh, who is the Drevlian prince who killed Igor, supposedly. How are they spelling Mal? M A L. So that means bad in uh. <laughs> In romance languages, like yes, yeah, it does. <laughs> but it this is up, East Slavic, so yeah. It's, I presumably they didn't name their per, their person bad. Prince Bad, yeah, yeah, no. they're probably not. But that no. is this is not this is not a Latin based. It uh, is a little on the nose for um, it is funny Westerners yeah. now. Who knows if that was actually his name or if that was also kind of makes me or think of Darth Maul. I don't have that much trouble yes. mixing Darth Maul with like a a medieval torturous, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, Viking ruler. <laughs> That's guy. funny. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Prince Maul, okay. he's a dude. Uh, so they, so the Drevlians send some dudes in boats to Kiev to tell Olga that her husband has been killed and that she is now will marry Prince Maul. Mm. And according to the Chronicle, she says this. We have a lot of quotes from her, quote unquote. So Good. this is delightful. She says, quote, Your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise from the dead. But I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you on the morrow, and you shall say, We will not ride on horses, nor nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat, and you shall be carried in your boat. So, the next day. That sounds suspiciously like a trap to me. (laughs) We'll get to it. The Drevlians return and wait outside Olga's court and say the words that she told them to. Uh-huh. Uh, when they say that, the people of Kiev rise up and carry them in their boats. 
At first, the Drevlians are like, this is great, because they're carrying us to the court in our boats, like we said. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they were dropped in a trench and buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, while this occurred, it said that Olga bent down as they were being buried alive and inquired whether they found the honor to their taste. Burn. It must have been really deep trenches that they dumped them in. Yeah. So they apparently they dug a hole. She had her people dig a hole overnight <laughs> and then they dropped them into them. a hole and yep. buried them alive. So not good great. for her. After this, Olga sends a message to the Drevlians asking them, because obviously the Drevlians don't know if this has happened. <laughs> yep, of course not. There's no internet. So the, yeah. So the Drevlians ask, she asks the Drevlians to send their most distinguished men to Kiev such that she can go to Prince Maul in the best honor because she's quote-unquote a queen, right? So she's yes. like, I'm fancy. I need your best people to escort me. So basically she's just taking over their kingdom because they think she's their queen, even though she murdered their king. <laughs> uh, right? Because they think no, she's the queen. The king, the, no, the prince didn't go with the first guys. Oh, okay. It was just some, it was just just some like noble-y, emissary noble-y people, guys. Okay. peoples. And now she's sending, okay, now send me your best people. Because the other ones were probably just kind of like messenger types. Mid-range and like, dudes, yeah. Like mercenary types who were going to force her to come, whether or not mm-hmm. she liked it, and then they're buried alive. So now she's okay. like, okay, send me your best nobles and stuff, because I'm fancy, and I want to go to your prince fancy. I'm a prince, I'm a queen, and I'm you have to treat me properly. Yes. And yeah, okay. So obviously they don't know that their other guys are dead. So right. when they arrive, it still Olga sounds has- like a trap. Even if you don't know that the other guys are dead, it still sounds <laughs> it does. like a trap. It does sound like a trap. So when they arrive, Olga has her people draw them a bath. And she asks the men to bathe before she has an audience with them. That's in of itself. That's kind of a burn. <laughs> yes. And when they enter the bathhouse, Olga's people set the bathhouse on fire. And it That's kills fun. everybody inside. How creative. Yes. Okay. So then. Not enough water in there for them, I guess. Uh, I don't think it mattered at that point. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Whole building is burning. Uh, so then she sends another message to the Drevlians to prepare a feast at the place where her husband was killed so that she can mourn him and have a, like a feast party thing. Um, and then she can marry mm-hmm. the prince. Okay. So the Drevlians are like, great. Um, so she goes to this place and they do in fact have a feast and the Drevlians are all hanging out and they're like, this is great. We've got all this land and we've got this princess and she's going to marry our prince and it's going to be great. And the Drevlians okay. get very drunk. Mm-hmm. And then Olga has her followers kill the Drevlians in a massive massacre. And the Chronicle notes that uh, up to like 5,000 Drevlians are killed on this night. That's a lot. She then returns to <laughs> Kiev to collect an army to finish the Drevlians for good. Uh, she continues to use her massive army, army to push all the Drevlians to retreat to their cities. She, she sieges the place where Igor was killed. Uh, after mm-hmm. a year of this siege, she sends a message asking why the Drevlians won't submit like all the other cities had. Um, mm-hmm. They agree to submit, um, and Olga asks that each house... Uh, well, it's okay. They agree to submit, and they're like, is this another trap? And she's like, no, no, no. Like All of, all of that other stuff I did was all the vengeance I need. So we're good. You just need to submit um, and you're going to be part of like Kevin Roos and all that stuff. You guys got to like behave. But first, they're not, though. but first, I want you to uh, have each house give me three pigeons and three sparrows. And the Drevlians are like, okay. thank God. Sure. We'll give you three pigeons and three sparrows from each house. Olga's like delightful. She gets all these birds. <laughs> Uh-oh. She has her and army. She covers everybody in peanut butter and they all get pecked alive. <laughs> 
No. Um, <laughs> she has her army tie pieces of sulfur uh, or, or uh, like, claws soaked in, like, a sulfur mixture to each bird. Mm-hmm. She sets the okay. sulfur on fire, and then she releases uh, the birds. kind of sad. It is bad for the birds, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, she sets them on fire, releases the birds. The birds uh, fly to return to their nests, which would be at each house in the city they mm-hmm. came from. Uh, and so she sets the city on fire. And the Chronicle says, quote, there was not a house that was not consumed, and it was impossible to extinguish the flames because all the houses caught fire at once. Yes. Okay. So. So she's destroyed their One of their capital. cities. I don't yeah. think it's the capital. It's just one of their cities. It happens okay. to be where Igor was killed. Okay. Uh, because she's mad about it. So, okay. after this, she's pretty much successful, obviously, at putting down the Drivelian Rebellion. Um, yep. And she's, at this point, remember, still only about, like, 20. Yep. So she's... Crushing it. Literally and figuratively killing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to imagine all of the Drevlians are like hearing about her and like, oh, getting all these fancy invitations from yeah. her. And they're like, oh, yes, this woman yep. is going to be our servant and we're going to crush it. This yeah. is going to be so great. And all their wives are in the background like, you don't think this is weird? Like, this is a little weird. <laughs> they're like, she's being really nice. Yeah, she's really she accepting of murdered this. her husband and the ba- father of her baby. Yeah. Like, do you guys not think this raises red flags? And all the men are like, this no, is this great. is great. She submits yep. to us. Yeah, in in some of the some of the sites there they talk a lot about like how uh she was really underestimated, uh especially since I mean Apparently. I'll mention I mention it later too, but at the time historians are pretty sure that like especially the Kevin Roos and like pretty much all the warlords in the area, it's a very male dominated society, you know. Yeah. Not surprising. Women don't hold places of power, like that's not a thing. Yeah. Which so, means which is why the the Devlians would just assume that she's submitting to them because she's right. a frail woman who's afraid yep. of them. And they're like, she can't possibly be running her country now. Like none of the men, like none of her her army like generals are gonna listen to her. So like there's no worry here, right? Except that they do. Well um <laughs> because she's she proved on that first event that that she got some plans and the army's like, yeah, yeah. we'll go with you. <laughs> yeah sure why not? Yeah, that's nuts. Okay. She's about 20, uh, and she obviously now remains the regent ruler of Kievan Rus, with the full support mm-hmm. of her army and her people that all admire mm-hmm. her for her quick wit and intelligence and her very quick put down of the Drevlians. Yeah, that suggests that the people liked her husband, too. Yeah. It seemed like it was pretty, like, stable within their region, like with Oleg yeah. and... and um, and then Igor, they were all like, yeah, we're Igor's our heir. Like, everybody's going to follow Igor. I mean, his army followed him to put down the Drevlians the first time. And then yeah. he went back with a smaller group, and that's why they could kill him. But um, Yeah. Like, it implies that the heir, the community, the kingdom is, like, yeah. on board that their little son is going to be the re- the king. Yeah. And in the meantime, they're fine with this woman. This woman, yeah. Yep. Being the regent, which means that they, like, if they didn't like Igor, then they would have like, just, no, they yeah. would just nixed it immediately. Yeah. But the fact that they're willing to wait for this baby to grow up. Yeah. Because like, he's three. Like, when. Yeah, Igor it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she's going to be in charge for like 20 years, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everybody's like all on board, and she's, uh, this makes her, her the first recorded um, woman to be in charge of a group in this area. Um, Good for her. Paving yeah. the way for um, Queen Hedwig. Yes. Yep. A little bit later. Yeah. 300 years later. Yep. 
Um, she then proceeds, like, over her course of her regency, she proceeds to make the first form of legal reform recorded in Eastern Europe uh, by changing the system of tribute gathering. Um, <laughs> she continues okay. to evade marriage proposals um, and defends the city during the siege of Kiev in 968. Um, through this time, she also travels across her lands. She establishes trading posts, hunting grounds, boundary towns, boundary posts, etc. Um, her work helps to centralize the state rule with these centers and basically makes the whole area more stable and prosperous. Basically interconnecting yeah. everybody with like trading. Yeah, like turns it into more of like we are a kingdom. A real state. And not just yeah. a group of people who kind of are nice to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Once her son is grown, she remains regent as he goes on various military campaigns when he's like youngish, like a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and raises uh, her grandsons while he's doing this. Um Overall, after the defense of her people, she basically works to solidify the nation and make it a real thing. Good for her. Yeah. So she is she is kind of very similar to Yadviga then. Yes. In like a consolidating the yep. nation, yep. basically ruling as an outright ruler. Yep. Being kind of except like a for, warrior kind of. Yeah. Yep. Except for Ukraine instead of Poland. That's interesting. Yep. Next door. Um. So why is she a saint? She killed a bunch of people. <laughs> Were they pagans? That doesn't count uh, sometimes. Everybody was pagans. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is obviously all of those stories is kind of where the patron saint of like the protector of the Ukraine and the patron yeah. saint of vengeance comes from. Yeah. Um, and that's I'll, a great patronage. Yeah. It's vengeance. I mean, we'll talk about it later because it's not actually okay. a real patronage, but okay. that's what lay people call her, you know? Okay. So in the 950s ish. Um, Olga travels to Constantinople, which is uh-huh. the capital of the Byzantine Empire, mm-hmm. to visit the emperor at the time, who was Constantine, Constantine the Seventh. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, we don't really know her inner thoughts on why she does this or mm-hmm. goes there, but she converts to Christianity is, and is baptized. And the chronicle. Presumably, she went because it would be like a big trading. That is kind of what I think. But wars and stuff like they're big yeah. kingdoms that they butt up against each other. Especially since the Byzantine interact. is the Holy Roman Empire when they're really into being Christian, right? Yeah, yeah. So they are like, no, everybody's going to be Christian, and they're really aggressive yeah. about it. So uh, if she's like, yeah, we are also Christian, <laughs> please don't invade us. <laughs> you know. Well, it's also that thing that we talked about. Um, with Cyril and Methodius, where they're they haven't broken apart yet, the yeah. Byzantine and Roman churches. So they're like yep. tensions are building because right. it's in 1054 that they do that. So that's yeah, like, and this is pretty 950s. imminent. Yep, yeah. So like tensions must be like hundred years. Yeah, getting pretty serious, and like it matters who you're allied with and yep. whether you're with the Holy Roman Empire or the. So it the feels Byzantine. it feels very much like a political move, but yeah. Well, well, I'll talk about it a little bit, but the so the chronicle says has a whole like thing about this situation. So mm-hmm. it says, quote, the reigning emperor was named Constantine, son of Leo. Olga came before him. And when he saw that she was very fair of countenance and wise as well, the emperor wondered at her intellect. He conversed with her and remarked that she was worthy to reign with him in his city. When Olga heard his words, she replies that she was still a pagan and that if he desired to baptize her, he should perform this function himself. Otherwise, she was unwilling to accept baptism. The emperor, with the assistance of the patriarch, accordingly baptized her. 
When Olga was enlightened, she rejoiced in soul and body. The patriarch who instructed her in her faith said to her, Blessed art thou among the women of Rus, for thou hast loved the light and quit the darkness. The sons of Rus shall bless these to the last generation of thy descendants. Um, the patriarch taught her the doctrine of the church and instructed her in prayer and fasting, in almsgiving, and in the maintenance of chastity. She bowed her head, and like a sponge absorbing water, she eagerly drank in his teachings. The princess bowed before the patriarch, saying, Through thy prayers, Holy Father, may I be preserved from the crafts and assaults of the devil. At her baptism, she was christened Helena after the ancient empress, mother of Constantine the Great. The patriarch then blessed her and dismissed her. As you may notice, there is a marriage proposal in there <laughs> at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. But we also know that Olga did not remarry, but Constantine was like, hey, yo, do you want to be my wife? Because um, she controls that decently that powerful kingdom area. now, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's like, hey, yo, you should be my wife. And uh, she's like, no, I don't want to be your wife. Um, so I'll set you on fire while you're having a bath. <laughs> <laughs> no, instead, she purposely asks Constantine to baptize her. And yes, which is a, such a power move. It is, but there's a specific reason. <laughs> so the Chronicle says this, quote, After her baptism, the emperor summoned Olga and made known to her that he wished to become wished her to become his wife. But she replied, quote, How can you marry me after yourself baptizing me and calling me your daughter? For among Christians, that is unlawful, as you must know. Then the emperor said, Olga, you have outwitted me. He gave her many gifts of gold, silver, silks, and various vases, and dismissed her, still calling her his daughter. Yeah. Obviously, she's not literally his daughter. Yeah, yeah. But at this time in the church, it was illegal for a goddaughter to marry her godfather, i.e. the person who baptized her. So Olga made sure that he couldn't marry her. He couldn't force her to marry him because she was like, no, you baptized me. And it's your religion that says yeah. we can't do this. Yep. <laughs> So she probably it's pretty funny. So it seems like she maybe isn't that like she's not that interested in being Christian probably. At least not right. at the beginning. Yeah. So the story is pretty far fetched obviously. Um historians don't really think it actually happened um as there are Byzantine records that she was already a Christian before she visited Constantinople. It's thought that she was probably baptized in Kiev in um in like 955ish. Which now okay. I think is after, yeah. Which they think, basically she was baptized right before she went to Constantinople already. Um, okay. And that she was baptized again um, I mean, by the emperor. It's just possible that both of those things are true. And like, right. she, he does, Constantine doesn't, doesn't know, know that she's already been baptized. Yeah. So she's like, I see, a, I see a loophole here. If she's just been baptized, you. how would she know that rule from the start? You know? If, yeah. she ha if, she did, if she wasn't already Christian, how would she know that you're not supposed to marry your godfather? Unless she's got some, like, really on-top-of-it advisory right. guys Which, helping her. Maybe, maybe not. It's also but, possible, yeah. So Who it's knows? also known that uh, she wasn't even the first Christian in the Kievan Rus, so there were Christians in Igor's court already. Um, yeah. So it's probable that it was just, like, people, and she was like, yeah, sure, I'll be Christian. Um, and then she went to Constantinople after that. Um, also, uh, historians already know that, um, what's his face, the emperor? Who is it? Constantine? Constantine. Yeah. He already had a wife at this time. And so, or at least they're pretty sure he yeah. already had a wife. So they're like, why would he ask for another wife? Because yeah, he's Christian, he supposedly. Yeah, he's not allowed to do that. Right. Yeah. So 
you know, yeah, who so knows? Like the timelines don't all totally quite right. work out, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. but who knows? Maybe it was just before he had a wife. Maybe he was just planning to off his wife because, you know, that's the kind of thing that <laughs> sounds like he would do. So, you know, <laughs> it was very loose at this time. Okay. So she returns to Kiev after her trip and tries to convince her son to be Christian so that the people would follow him and everybody would be Christian. Because he's like an adult. Like he's, he's, he's an adult. King. He's basically, he's yeah. Okay. She's basically just... She can leave now because like she's he's Maggie in charge. Smith in um yes, Down Abbey. She's yeah. the yep the grand the queen mother. Who's she's the queen kind of mother. not in charge anymore, but also kind of isn't. Yeah, she still has a lot of power, obviously. Okay, um, but so she goes. She goes to her son, and the chronicle says this quote: Now Olga dwelt with her son Sviatoslav, and she urged him to be baptized, but he would not listen to her suggestion. Though when any man wished to be baptized, he was not hindered, but only mocked. For to the infidels, the Christian faith is foolishness. They do not comprehend it because they walk in darkness and do not see the glory of God. Their hearts are hardened and they can neither hear with their ears nor see with their eyes. For Solomon has said, the deeds of the unrighteous are far from wisdom. Inasmuch as I have called you and ye heard me not, I sharpened my words and ye understood not. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would have and would have none of my reproach for they have hated knowledge and the fear of jehovah they have not chosen they would none of my counsel but despised all my reproof sorry that quote was very difficult <laughs> a lot of these um okay basically her son says no and be- mostly because like it's even said that her son says no because people would make fun of him <laughs> so it's not that it's yeah so it sounds like it's not that it's illegal or no. that like no it's just not cultural. It's just like a weird cultural thing to have done. It seems like the kind of thing where like they're fine with women doing it because they're like, oh, it's like a woman thing. But like men are made fun of if they convert because they're like, yeah, why would you? Yeah. So yeah, so it's like a cultural problem, not yeah. a like a legal or a, no. Yeah. yeah. Because okay. also they're the ones in charge. So like they can change anything if they want to. But yeah, yeah. nothing's illegal. It's just like a cultural like people being like, why would I? What? Why would I do that? Yeah. <laughs> It's like a soft woman thing. Why would I do that? So her son completely refuses. But she does get him to agree to not prosecute anyone in the kingdom who does convert. Um, I've had a thought. Yes. It's a soft woman thing. But that lady who lit a bunch of people on fire. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The lady who you guys all follow for like 20 years. Yeah. Is now a Christian. Yeah. Um, Okay. So... Yeah, so she convinces him not to persecute anybody or prosecute anyone who in the kingdom who does convert, which is considered one of her greatest achievements because it basically sets up a precedent for allowing conversion, you know? Yeah. Whereas a lot of places were like, no, we'll kill you if you do. It's like a step towards religious freedom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, there's some resistance to Christianity in the Kievan Rus, um, but Olga still spends her time, her older years, building churches across the kingdom because she wants to. Okay. Um, I wonder if any of them are still there. I don't know. Maybe. Could be. It would be, be a little on the old side, but not impossible. Yeah. Um, the Chronicle then says that Olga died of an illness in 969, anywhere from like 40 to 80 year old, years old, depending on when she was born. <laughs> so. Right. Do they know when her son was born? Not really. They just okay. say that he's <laughs> he's three when her husband is killed, which they do have a but date for that. they don't know that. when that was. Well, they have a date for when her husband is killed. So, well, I mean, if if they know, then you can work out when he was born then. And then if you assume she was between 15 and 20. Yeah. 
somewhere around when then. he was born. Yeah. Then that would should give you how old she was. Ish. Yeah, ish. It was somewhere in there. You know, oldish for the time. You know. All right. She lives a good amount of time. Um, so the chronicle says this about her death. Quote, Sviatslav announced to his mother and his boyars, quote, I do not care to remain in Kiev, but should prefer to live in Paraslavet on the Danube, since that is the center of my realm, where all riches are concentrated, gold, silks, wine, and various fruits from Greece, silver and horses from Hungary and Bohemia, and from Rus, furs, wax, honey, and slaves. But Olga made reply, quote, you behold me in my weakness, why do you desire to depart from me? For she was already in precarious health. She thus remonstrated with him and begged him first to bury her and then to go wherever he would. Three days later, Olga died. Her son wept for her with great mourning, as did likewise her grandson and all the people. They thus carried her out and buried her in her tomb. Olga had given command not to hold a funeral feast for her, for she had a priest who performed the last rites over the sainted princess. So, she dies. Um, She convinced her son to stay until she dies. She dies soon after. Um, And then he ends up, he does end up, like, moving kind of like the capital area. Um, Okay. But, if you may notice, in this document, the Chronicle from 1110, um, Mm -hmm. she is referred to as the Sainted Princess. Yeah, so it happened pretty quick. Yeah. Um, So, while her son doesn't like Christianity, he upholds, surprisingly, kind of surprisingly to historians, he upholds her request that her pre- her priest preside over her death instead of having like a traditional like feast like they would normally mm-hmm. in their in their culture. Um, and her tomb stood in Kiev from the time of her death until it was destroyed in the Mongolian Tartar invasion of Batu Khan in twelve forty. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, they they set stuff on fire too. Demolished. Yeah, I bet yep. they did. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so again, why is she a saint? <laughs> I mean, she, she like, didn't convert the kingdom, right? Because people basically right. just ignored it. Yep. But she also, like, she made it, she decriminalized it, which is not nothing. Right. So, mostly so. for her efforts to Christianize her people, as many old saints are, because there are a lot of saints that you're like, they kind of didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially saints from this time, you're like, why? And it's just because people liked them. It wasn't really related to... Because obviously, yeah. like we mentioned last week, this is she's obviously a sainted before congregation. Yeah, so the local people get to decide. Yeah, they're just like honoring her. And then when Christianity... And especially if there's only a handful of Christians around, it's a lot yeah. easier to be like, the eight of us decide that this lady's going to be a saint. It's kind of more that just like the whole kingdom is honoring her. And then yeah. eventually, so her efforts in life seem to fail... But her effort is rewarded when her grandson, Vladimir, would officially adopt Christianity in 988. So it's kind of like, okay, the whole kingdom is honoring her, and then eventually everyone becomes Christian, so then eventually people are like, okay, well, she's a saint. Even though yeah. there's not really like once, a saint uh, yeah, reason. Because once everybody yeah. has become Christian, it's like, we've all been we worshiping. Here? She's like yeah. our founding mother, kind yeah. of. like Yeah. It's like how everyone in the North America is like, oh, Christopher Columbus. And it's like, yeah. he didn't, he didn't, didn't really, really do, do anything. anything. Yeah. <laughs> it was pure accident and he wasn't even first. Right. But everyone's like, we need a person to claim as yeah. like the starting point. So we're just going right. to, we're going to go with this guy. Yeah. So she is seen as like the precursor of the Christian land. Um, mm-hmm. And there is, so, you know, she's kind of like, like like you said, she's kind of like the mother. So the Chronicle says this about like the whole Christianity thing. 
Quote, Olga was the precursor of the Christian land, even as the day spring precedes the sun and as the dawn precedes the day. For she shone like the moon by night, and she was radiant among the infidels like a pearl in the mire. Since the people were soiled and not yet purified by of their sin by holy baptism. But she herself was cleansed by this sacred purification. She was the first from Rus to enter the kingdom of the God of God, and the sons of Rus thus praise her as their leader, for since her death she has interceded with God in their behalf. So obviously she's not the first from Rus, but you know, she's the first in power mm-hmm. from Rus, which you yeah. know, okay. She gets um, like early adopter credit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I think it's kinda like And she's a woman, which is like Right. More a little more impressive. Yeah. And um she did a bunch of stuff, so everybody's like, we love her. And then later people are like, yeah, she's holy. And you're like, mm. <laughs> she killed a lot of people. <laughs> they were pagans, Christina. <laughs> yeah, but she was also a pagan at that time. Yeah, so <laughs> so she gets no points for that? I don't think so, no. Okay. <laughs> um, All right. So much later, in 1547, um, the Russian Orthodox Church names her as an official saint, referring to her as honorific isopostolos which means equal to the apostles. Um, Ooh, fancy. I'm not sure when she was made a Roman Catholic saint because nobody says it, but her feast day, mm-hmm. she is a Roman Catholic saint, and her feast day is on July 11th, which is supposedly when she died. Um, she is considered the patron saint of widows and converts for the most part, but also people like to say that she's the patron saint of the Ukraine, makes sense, and warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, she is also sometimes called the patron saint of vengeance by non-Catholics. Although that doesn't really make sense because vengeance yeah. isn't really a holy quality that you could pray no. for, I don't think. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, like lay people, like non-Catholics really like to say that like uh, like a lot of the stories are like from evil queen to saint. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> a little she, aggressive. she wasn't like, she wasn't like, you know, super pious friendly and kind and pious but she also like i don't know that anything she did was out of line for the time yeah yeah so i mean yeah it sounds brutal but i don't know that it would have been like sounds like pretty standard it doesn't seem like constantine blinked at it so (laughs) yeah it's pretty standard old-timey medieval work stuff yeah um but because of that she is also seen as like the protector of the ukraine and like the image of defending that's a nicer way to think of it yes yeah um She is historically known as promoting Christianity to people and convincing her descendants not to persecute people um, Mm -hmm. and demonstrating that women could rule in a largely patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. And historian Thomas Crowell said, quote, if any saint was bad to the bone, it was Olga, princess of Kiev. She's viciousness to a new level. (laughs) That sounds a little dramatic. A little dramatic, yeah. Um. So her exploits obviously were pretty violent, but that was pretty much only in the beginning. So other than yeah, that, it seems like she just was just the queen after that and did like normal. Yeah. So she defended her city uh, a couple times and like built a bunch of like infrastructure, which is good overall, like pretty good representation of her people. Um, and she's still like a cornerstone of prayers for intercession in the Ukraine, along with a couple other saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty violent person in history but maybe because those could also be exaggerated yeah it could be made up uh there was actually some some historians talking about how they aren't sure exactly sure how all these like trickery things how true those are um and they might be really exaggerated because they think there's no way that 
the Drevlians wouldn't have found out about some of them because they were actually pretty close to Kiev. <laughs> yeah, especially because like maybe the first one you could get away with. Yeah, but after like three. But then after that, yeah, three yeah. seems like too many maybe. Yeah. So they are kind of like, we are pretty doubtful that the Drevlians would continue to send people. <laughs> yeah, especially because they don't come back. Yeah, you'd be like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, it, it could be very exaggerated because it's, it's an old document, like who really knows. But- She's still seen as, like, uh, kind of an inspiration for protection against unnecessary violence, such as the murder of Igor and the invasion of the Ukraine by Russia, and that women can be leaders, hmm. which is nice. And so yeah. my sources today uh, were the Wikipedia pages for uh, Olga of Kiev, Kiev and Rus, uh, the Primary Chronicle, Rurik of Ladoga, as well as the CatholicNews.com uh, site. Um for the text of the prayer for peace in the Ukraine from the Pope, as well as jpost.com. I wonder how saintness, saint uh, canonization works in the Eastern Orthodox Church. I don't know. I because presume it's... the congregation stuff would have happened after the split. Yeah. Which means oh, yeah. presumably the Eastern Orthodox Church would have had to, like, decide on their Do own something to different. Yeah. organize. But maybe they did it at the same time. Maybe. Or a similar time. I think it's probably, I mean, definitely modern-wise, I bet they have a whole process, just like. I'm sure they do, yeah. But, but like, wonder, who knows like, when that actually happened, you know? Yeah, because, like, you said last week that the congregation was in, like, 14-something, maybe? Yeah, it was around, like, the 1500s when she's made a, an official saint. So it's possible that, like, obviously people were honoring her as a saint before this. Yeah, but when uh, they put that on the list. But, yeah, so in 1547, yeah. she's made a, like, an official saint in the Russian Orthodox Church. So it could be in like the 1500s when they're like, okay, we need a list. <laughs> yeah. So it could be in like around the same time as the Catholic Church when they're like, can we at least get a list of what we're doing here? And that's kind of when mm -hmm. she becomes like a written down saint. Yeah. Um, I mean, they would have, that still would have been, the Eastern Orthodox Church would have done that a lot faster than the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church did because it took the Roman Catholics, what, 1500 years? From well, 0 to 1500, oh, yeah, and then yeah. the Russian Orthodox only existed from 1054, so, so only about 500 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, But yeah, Maybe she's should, pretty interesting. There are some really yeah. delightful photos that we will post of her depictions and um, uh, like statues and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, just like the way she's painted is like really dope sometimes. <laughs> so they don't know where her body is and like you can't go to her no, tomb anymore, No, because right? it was it destroyed in the 1240s by it. like no idea. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, look at this. <laughs> there's some other really good ones. Like there's some good paintings of like her holding birds and looking really pissed. <laughs> and a lot she of her things. She really angry. She, she, she's like got her, so in this, we'll post it on her Instagram, but she, a lot of times she's depicted with her head tilted down and like looking up like through, through her, her eyebrows. eyebrows yeah and she just looks so angry all the time and yeah, that's pretty much how all of her saint stuff is depicted <laughs> which is kind of she awesome also looks tired she does yeah um so that yeah She's like i have a three-year-old at home and what are you doing <laughs> get out of here yeah so there's a uh there's some other pictures where she's holding like a sparrow um mm -hmm. from that story um I think, yeah. I think calling her an evil queen is a little bit... It's a little dramatic, yeah. Because it's yeah, really it's just a, that one thing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit, like, I don't know, misogynistic of, like, oh, oh yeah. when a woman does this, I mean, it's she's evil, evil to the yeah, core, whereas all sure. the men at the time were doing exactly Including kind of Constantine and shit like that. Yeah. And, 
including the uh even like the patriarchs of the early church were like shitty like they had slaves like all that kind of stuff so saying that when a woman does it oh she's vengeance to the core like how she massacred all these people it's like okay well so did constantine and like put it everyone else everybody so, let's so take it down a notch yeah. i mean not to say that that's okay it makes no. it okay like it's still bad but like saying that she's worse than everyone else right because everybody was dramatic yeah. it's a yeah but i mean she maybe shouldn't be a saint but yeah <laughs> she wasn't worse than anyone else yeah i was hoping for a little bit more on like oh like she had a reformation of ways or something like that but no she's just kind of it was probably a political move but to be fair, she then also tried to get all of her family to do it too, and at yeah. least convince them not to persecute people, which is good. So there must have been mm-hmm. something going on because if it was just political, she might not have pushed that hard, and she might not have built churches and stuff. She would have just been like, "Yeah, on paper we're Christian, but we're like not actually." Um, <laughs> yeah. But it seemed like she was actually no like, I want people to be Christian. So there must have been something there, but and people like right after like the Nestor, thank you Nestor. Um, for writing all this down uh, in 1110 he's like she's the sainted princess and she was interceding with God and stuff like that so oh good for her yeah she seems like a cool lady and uh, there's a big old statue a photo of a statue which we'll post as well um, yeah so huh. good job over the next couple weeks um, keep the Ukraine in your prayers and such you could pray for intercession to a couple of the saints including Saint Olga because she seems like the main one to go to. <laughs> She's got this covered. She kind of has experience. Um, <laughs> what was what was her like epithet thing? Olga of, of something? Olga something? Of Kiev. Yeah. Of Kiev? Okay. Yeah. And then um, she's also like, she's really commonly called, um, where was it? Equal to the Apostles, which is pretty intense. Um, yeah, so Everybody is like, yeah, she's like basically an Apostle. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that but okay <laughs> i mean there should be some female apostles so i don't know well yeah but i think there's something like that in roman catholicism too where there's like a ranking system that doesn't really matter like once you're a saint you're a saint doesn't like who cares but i think there is like a thing because like you can be a doctor of the church which is different like it's a special category right of yeah there's also the things where you are ranked uh for like uh, whose holy days take precedent because obviously yeah. people like, I think there overlap. is something about like you're on an apostle level yeah. or like near the apostles I think that is one of the like yeah because the apostles feast days get precedent over like everything, for everything except for yeah. Jesus stuff obviously yep. but then there are still like like I'm pretty sure like St. Francis and St. Clara are some of the high ones where like they yeah. can take precedent over certain things whereas there's much lesser known saints that like can't take precedent over every- anything um, yeah because so, they're nobody yeah except for like <laughs> to that one area which is allowed to do that you know like saint patrick mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah well, that's interesting yeah she's pretty cool i was like oh a woman would also be nice because we need another woman and then i was like let's find someone from the ukraine and she's pretty much the only one with a real story because everybody else is a martyr from mm-hmm. world war Two. and then i was reading it and i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> Because then I was like, oh, like, there's this Olga of Kiev. I'm like, I wonder what she's about. Googled her. And there's, like, like all of the first <laughs> all of the first articles other than, like, the Wikipedia one and, like, the real, like, Catholic sites and the, mm-hmm. the Orthodox Christian sites were, like, the patron saint of vengeance. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, good lord. And they're like, meet Ukraine's uh, patron saint of, like, 
vengeance and massacre and i was like <laughs> like good lord very yeah, aggressive like i don't i don't want to condone the violence but also yeah. like you go girl yeah well it's also very much like all of these a lot of these sites came up like since the recent invasion of the ukraine yeah um, people are googling it yeah. yeah and people are googling it and like these the ones that are sensationalizing it one they're doing it for clickbait um mm-hmm. and two like they're not they're not actually like christian or catholic sites um or yeah. even orthodox sites so all the ones that are actually like official sites are like they're just like olga of keith and they don't like <laughs> freak out about it as much freak out yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah there's sense. definitely a lot of like sensationalizing right now about and also about i mean that was a thousand years ago yeah it would not be surprising to learn that every single thing you just told us didn't happen like oh yeah for sure no one could ever know yep I'm going to choose to believe that <laughs> Olga and Yadviga are like sitting in heaven, chilling, like, drinking tea, <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> Seems like about, they would get along. Talk about lame men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> feel like yeah. they'd get along. Yes, I think, I think they would. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank you for joining us on this um, investigation and kind of like the history of of that whole area, like the Baltic states, the Black Sea kind of area. Yeah, you don't hear about it much. Yeah. In- Western education. Yeah. And we obviously think of, like, Russia as where it is now, but, like, like the Rus were kind of, like, all of, like, Eastern Europe, kind of, at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just, like, the people who live over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, obviously Russia comes from Rus, you know? Um, mm-hmm. The land of the Rus. But obviously things have, like, shifted and things, so. Yeah. Um, a lot of A lot of mixing, mixing about at that time. Um, I mean, they were even parts of Poland, so, like, yeah, they didn't go past Poland, because they're obviously not into, like, Germany or France, that kind of area, but, because they're mm-hmm. over in, in Eastern Europe, but, um, yeah, history of that area at that time, and they were a pretty big, uh, pretty big group. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think one of the essays I wrote on my AP World History exam was about the Kievan Rus. I just, I just remember it from, uh, there's a YouTube video called History of the World, which I highly suggest. That goes through the history of the world in like ten minutes, <laughs> and they mentioned the Givenrus. <laughs> no, I think I did at one point know more about them than that. Okay, gotcha. That's how I know more about them. That's because that. So there's a point in that video where like there's a whole bunch of warlord stuff going on in like Europe and like <laughs> Asia, and so there's just like this group, and then it fell apart, and then there's this group, and then it fell apart, and then there's this group, and then it fell apart, and then it's like <laughs> the Byzantine Empire, and then the Givenrus, and then the Mongols, and then <laughs> it's like. Yeah. But yeah, then the Mongols come in and kind of just uh, are like, oh, hey, this is ours. <laughs> mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, you have horses. Yeah. And arrows, bows and arrows. Uh-huh. Those are uh, good recursive ones. Yes. Yeah. Recurve bows. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's why everybody loses to them. Yep. And they're like, oh. Anyway. <laughs> and they have a lot oh, yeah. of people and a lot of horses. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, but all right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Remember that you can. Uh, the best way to support us is to rate and review, and then tell a friend about the podcast. Tell mm-hmm. another Catholic or a former Catholic or a lost Catholic about this podcast, and um, you can rate and review on both Apple iTunes and uh, Spotify now. Although I believe Spotify doesn't actually have reviews; I think it's just stars. I'm not entirely sure. Whatever you can do helps. Yes. And check out the Instagram. It is at martyr and monk, all one word. 
And we just post pictures of the things that we talk about and icons and relics and things. So you can go look at those. Yeah. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Bye.